Have you ever heard of Clive Staples Lewis? He was born in 1898, the son of a lawyer. And all through his 20s, Clive was a confirmed atheist. In his adult years, he became friends with J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings trilogy. And that relationship was pivotal to his conversion to Christianity. In 1950, C.S. Lewis wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. This was the first book in his series, The Chronicles of Narnia, which he allegorically described the Christian doctrines and the redemption of Christ. You may know something about those things, but did you know that he wrote many significant books on Christianity? Uh, his book, Mere Christianity, is on several of the reading lists for some of my seminary classes. In short, C.S. Lewis was an amazing author who was also significant because he was an atheist who turned his life over to Christ and then devoted his life to sharing who Christ is and what Christ has done. Some of you may have never heard of him at all. Some of you may have read some of those Narnia books or seen the movies. And still others of you may know this and much more. Uh, maybe you've read some of his serious Christian books and love his work like I do. Isn't it interesting that we can partially know or completely overlook an important person like C.S. Lewis? Um, we can know a little or a lot or nothing at all about someone. This passage in the related text we're studying this morning is about this same situation, except it's in regard to the most important person in history, and that's Jesus Christ. Please be turning in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Since we're jumping in the middle of Mark, I want to quickly share a little background on this gospel. This is the shortest of the gospels, and most Bible scholars attribute uh, this gospel to John Mark. He was a good friend to both Peter and Paul. And many scholars believe that this gospel is John Mark recording from Peter's account of his time with Christ. This is a perfect time to study this passage because it very closely coincides to where Graham will take up his sermon series in Luke in a couple of weeks. The healing of the blind man in Bethsaida, which is the passage we're studying today, is one of two miracles that are only recorded in Mark. The other account is where Jesus healed the deaf mute in Mark 7. This account of Jesus healing the blind man in Bethsaida is it's a huge turning point in the book of Mark. This marks the end of Jesus' ministry in Galilee, where he was working in the northern part of Israel, somewhere between 12 and 18 months. And it's the beginning of his journey when he turns south to Jerusalem and the cross. Before we read this, I want to point out some things to look for as we're reading the text. This is about a man who Jesus healed from blindness. But consider that when Jesus performed miracles, he would also be showing something deeper than just the physical healing. He would often use the miracle as an illustration to teach his audience something about themselves, something about the kingdom of heaven, 
or something about him. And that's true of this passage and the text around it. This man's spiritual blindness, I mean, this man's blindness is illustrating spiritual blindness. I want you to notice that this man had three stages of seeing. He began being completely blind, and then he was partially blind, and finally he was completely healed. So let's begin reading in verse 22. I have it for you up on the screen. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. A short prayer. Heavenly Father, I I pray, Lord, that you would please open our eyes to see you, open our ears to hear you, and open our hearts to know you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This miracle takes place outside of the village of Bethsaida. This is located on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee, which is, which is really a, just a really big lake. And the, the name Bethsaida means house of fish. So it's a good name for a fishing village. This was very familiar to Andrew, Philip, and Peter because Bethsaida was these three disciples' hometown. Um, it was somewhere near Bethsaida that Jesus called Peter and Andrew to follow him. And it was also near here that Jesus miraculously fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Some of the residents of Bethsaida most likely even ate that miraculous meal. It is clear that the people in Bethsaida knew Jesus and they knew the disciples very well. They had seen him perform miracles. And this explains their actions in verse 22 where Mark says, And some of the people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. This man was completely blind. And these people understood that Jesus was the only one who could heal him. They pleaded with Jesus to touch him and heal him. And, but this man's total blindness points us back to a, a preceding passage in this same chapter where Jesus encountered some people who were completely spiritually blind. This is our first point and the first of three ways to see Jesus, which is not at all in this situation, because there are those who are completely blind. If you turn back in Mark 8 to verse 11 with me, you'll see these spiritually blind people. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them. And he got in the boat again and went to the other side. 
So these Pharisees came specifically to confront Jesus. They were intending to start an argument and to show everyone that Jesus was not the Messiah. They were seeking a specific miracle it talks about to make Jesus, Jesus prove who he was. They believed that men could do miracles in earthly things, but only God could do a miracle in the heavens. They were demanding that Jesus prove it by stopping the sun in the sky, like we read about in Joshua, or some other huge sign in the heavens. But they had already rejected Jesus. And it's shown in numerous passages that they were getting more and more confrontational with him. The reality is, is they had already hardened their hearts toward Jesus, and Jesus knew it. They had no faith in God. They only had faith in themselves and their traditions, and they wanted to destroy anything or anyone who would get in their way. We get a sense of Jesus' frustration when we read about that he sighed deeply in his spirit. And he replied that he would not give a sign to this generation. He would not give a sign to these hard-hearted people who were completely blind to the truth of who he is. The reality is, is these type of people are, are in every generation. Scripture is full of accounts of people set against God. People like Pharaoh in Egypt who hardened their hearts to God and refused to acknowledge the miracles of God that are all around them. You see, there are none as blind as those who will not see, who decide not to see. Jesus pronounced that they would get no sign because they already had everything necessary to believe. It didn't matter how many miracles they saw. It didn't matter what kind of miracles. They would never change their mind about Jesus. And then a terrifying thing happened. He turned from them and he left them. John 3.19 tells us about people who reject God and what will become of them. And this is the judgment. The light, that is Jesus, has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. It's really important that I explain that these works of evil that it's talking about here are the things that everyone does before they come to Christ. They live their life apart from God. They live like God doesn't exist. They live like they are God. Deciding what's right or wrong for themselves. Complete spiritual blindness is a condition where someone refuses to come to the light and chooses the darkness instead. It's a heart condition. And Jesus knew the heart of these Pharisees, and by their hard-heartedness toward the only Son of God, they judged themselves, and he left them. Many people are blind to who Jesus truly is, but there's another kind of blindness, a temporary blindness. 
And this is the second way people see. They are, there are those who are partially blind. We see that temporary partial blindness in verse 23. And he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the village, and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? See, Jesus has compassion on those who want to be healed. He took this man and he led him out of the village. He led him to a more private place to minister to him one-on-one. We can see the care and love that Jesus had for him. And his relationship with Jesus started when Jesus touched him. Jesus put spittle on his eyes and laid his hands on him. In this day, they believed that spittle had some medicinal properties, but that's not what's going on here. The man could feel this was a special touch by Jesus. It was something different. And when Jesus touched him, a miracle began to happen. And Jesus asked him a question. And I think this is the most important sentence in the entire passage. Do you see anything? The man answered in verse 24, and he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. So the man could see something. He wasn't completely blind anymore. And we can also understand that he wasn't born blind because he could recognize the shape of men and the shape of trees. His healing had begun, begun but he, he could only see partially. He could see vaguely. He could see the outlines of things, but he couldn't see things distinctly and clearly. Jesus was making a point with his question, and it connects with Jesus and his disciples and their spiritual blindness, their partial spiritual blindness. If you turn back in Mark 8 to verse 14, let's look what happened right after Jesus and the disciples had left the Pharisees and they were in the boat on their way to Bethsaida. Now they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not yet see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? You see, when Jesus left the Pharisees, they went directly into the boat. And the disciples were concerned because they realized somebody had forgotten to bring enough bread and they only had one loaf. Jesus heard them talking about bread, and he warned them about the leaven of the Pharisees in heaven. I mean, in Herod. When Scripture mentions leaven, it's always referring to a spiritual condition of sinfulness. You see, a baker will fold a little yeast into a large ball of dough, and it has a dramatic influence on that dough. It begins to rise and change. 
when they were still slaves in Egypt, God had told the Israelites to remove the leaven to illustrate removing the influences of that Egyptian culture that they were in. They were not to allow any other culture to influence them, only the word of God and following him. This is the same for us. We gather here every week to counter the influences of the world around us, on us. The leaven of the world influences the way that we see the Lord and the truth of his word. It has an effect on us. You see, Herod was very sinful and worldly, and the Pharisees sinfully rejected Jesus as the Son of God. Herod and the Pharisees only trusted in themselves and had no faith in Christ. The disciples missed Jesus' point here and about the leaven, and they were probably finger-pointing who, who messed up, you know, by not bringing enough food. But this is a very common problem for the disciples. Uh, they were constantly missing Jesus' point when he compared physical things to spiritual things. So Jesus goes on and try to clear it up for them by reminding them of the two miracles where he miraculously fed thousands of people with only two, a few loaves and fishes. And Jesus was right there in the boat with them. God was right there. And they were worried if they were going to have enough to eat. With a word, Jesus could have made enough bread to sink the boat. But believers, isn't that just like us? We've got a relationship with the Lord, and we forget who He is. We start worrying about our provision or the problem that we're facing. When this happens, we aren't seeing our situation clearly either. Then Jesus asked them the same question about their spiritual sight as he asked the blind man about his physical sight. It's worded a little bit differently, but I think it's the same question. He asked the blind man, do you see anything? And he asked the disciples, do you not yet understand like the partial seeing man, the disciples see Jesus only vaguely at this point. They don't see the true Messiah. They thought Jesus was a Messiah, yes. But they thought he was going to be some political figure that was going to throw the Romans out and put the Jews back in charge. They saw him as a Messiah, but not the true Messiah. You see, Jesus is the Messiah who loves so much that he laid down his life for the world. Fortunately, the disciples weren't like the Pharisees who were completely blind and permanently blind. The disciples did believe, but they didn't understand what he came to do. They're like this partially blind man. He couldn't see clearly, and they didn't see Jesus clearly either. They did believe, and their hearts were not hardened, and that's, that's important. But the passages that follow this miracle show that partial spiritual blindness continued in the disciples. In the parallel passage in Matthew, Peter would make an incredible declaration that, Jesus, you are the Christ. But he didn't understand what Jesus came to do at the cross. And Peter rebuked Jesus 
Because he couldn't see the benefit of a dead Messiah. But Jesus rebuked Peter because salvation comes through the work of Jesus dying on the cross for our sin. Another thing to consider in this illustration miracle is it shows us that some miracles take time. They don't always happen instantly. It certainly didn't for me. I heard the gospel many times growing up and and I professed Jesus as my Lord and was baptized when I was 14. However, it was, it was much later in life before I came to see Jesus clearly. It took a long time for me to totally give my life to Jesus. This slow process is true about sanctification too. It takes time. Over a lifetime, Believers grow to see Jesus clearer and clearer. And it's a glorious truth that, that this process begins when we give our lives to the Lord and this process of seeing Him will continue through eternity. We will spend eternity learning about Him and we'll know Him more and more and never reach the end of Him. There's a truth here. There's always progress in the process of the work of the Lord. And he always finishes what he starts. Some people think, well, I said a little prayer back when I'm done. Now I think everything's just fine just seeing Jesus partially. They think it's normal not to have any growth or spiritual growth, spiritual development. But there's a doctrinal truth here. It may be slow. It may be very slow. But believers are to grow and persevere. Eventually, all of his true disciples grew to see Jesus very clearly. And that brings us to the third way to see Jesus, is seeing Jesus by those who were spiritually healed. Look at verse 25. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus completed the process of healing with this man. He went from blindness to seeing vaguely to seeing everything clearly. And like this, Jesus was revealing himself to his disciples about spiritual things. Just like this man went from blindness to full sight in a short period of time, they too would go quickly from spiritual blindness to fully understanding who Jesus is. When they saw him risen from the dead, they realized Jesus is God. He defeated death. And after he ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit fell on them, they knew what only God could teach them. They came to clearly understand that their life is in Christ. He's the solution to our sin problem. And in Him is life now and everlasting life. Both. When, Je when the disciples saw Jesus clearly, it radically changed everything for them. They went from cowering in the upper room 
to proclaiming Jesus everywhere and that Jesus is the Christ. They went from denying Jesus to a little girl before the crucifixion to facing and declaring Jesus the Christ to the very Sanhedrin that crucified him. And I might also add, the Pharisees did get their sign. When Jesus died, the sky went black. The earth shook and the rocks split. And the temple veil was torn in two. They did receive a sign from heaven. Jesus died and was in the grave for three days. And then he rose from the dead. And I declare to you right now, you have this same sign today. And there's a warning here. We need to pay attention. Look at verse 26. And he, that's Jesus, sent him, that's the healed blind man, to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Jesus told the, blind, the man, healed blind man, don't go to Bethsaida and tell them what happened. Bethsaida had seen all the miracles Jesus was going to show them. Even after all that Bethsaida had seen, their hearts never opened and they never repented. Listen to what Jesus says about them in Matthew 11, verse 21. This is red letters. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. I might ask you the same question that Jesus asked. Do you see anything? Do you understand who Jesus is? Do you only know some things about Jesus? But you've never turned your life completely over to him? Trusting him for everything and every part of your life? Maybe you're here week after week and you've seen progress in other people's lives. You've seen people get baptized. People growing from sitting in seats to teaching Sunday school or maybe leading a small group or involved and committed in some ministry. You've seen God working and moving in other people's lives. Is there any progress in your spiritual life? Are you satisfied seeing Jesus the same way year after year after year? I remind you, this blind man, he wanted to see. He, he wanted to be healed. He wanted to see everything clearly. Do you have a desire to know Jesus clearly? And is, is, that, is that desire growing in you? Is Jesus preeminent in your life? That's a big word, but it's a beautiful word. By that, what I mean is, is Jesus supreme? 
Is he incomparable to any other relationship in your life? This is what it means in Scripture when it describes Jesus as the firstborn. He's superior to everything. He's first. He's superior to to everything. He's peerless. There's no one like him. Jesus truly is preeminent. So I ask you, is, is Jesus just a bullet point in the things of your life? Or is Jesus the only point in your life? You need to understand this. You cannot have this new life without making him first. It's it's not a halfway thing. You can't be the man or woman that God has purposed you to be. You can't lead your home or your children without him coming first. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said, take up your cross and follow me. Die to yourself and live to him. And this is a miracle. It's a miracle that God personally comes and draws you and opens your eyes to see him, to see your need of him, and to see him for the Savior he truly is. Graham pointed some things out last week, and and I think it bears repeating. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for us. Jesus saves us from God's wrath on us for our sin. Jesus redeems us from what we deserve, which is death, hell, and the grave. He reconciles us to God. He makes a way for us to be in right relationship with him. He shows us that his resurrection is necessary for our resurrection. Jesus came to give us new life, and that new life is in him. If you don't know Jesus like this, if you don't see him for who he truly is, if you only see him vaguely, and what you're hearing this morning is resonating in you, the Lord is drawing you He's speaking to you. He's speaking to your spirit. Won't you you decide right now to give your life to him? It's the very best thing. It's the best thing for us. It's not a partway thing. It's an all-in thing. And life is so sweet with him. Won't you give your life up and over to him and make him Lord and Savior of your life today? Let's pray.